Good evening. Uh, if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, that's where we're going to be during the lesson uh, this evening. We're going to be uh, looking a little bit more at uh, what the, the interaction between Peter and Cornelius. So this morning, we, we kind of talked about some of the overall themes that converge at this point and some of what, like the setting and that leads up to it. You have the idea that Peter is uh, continuing on the mission of Jesus, only he's taking that mission from Israel and he's expanding it out, which is always what the, the mission of God has been about. The mission of God has never been about just one group of people with one language in one location, but it's always been a worldwide mission. Even, even Israel itself was intended to be a light to the nations. Even Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests. Israel's Torah was supposed to, in the same way that, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, makes us uh, a, the light of the world. Or the Sermon on the Mount, if we follow it, it put, makes us a, a city set on a hill. Well, Israel was supposed to be a city set on a hill. They were supposed to be an example to the nations around them to show them what the goodness of God and what justice is all about. And so Israel was supposed to reflect God's monotheism. They were supposed to reflect who Yahweh is to the nations around them. And one of the problems Israel ran into is they acted more like the other nations than they acted like the people of God so often. And they worshipped the gods of the nations around them. And so if you, if you claim to worship only God, but you act unjustly, then that reflects poorly on God's name. And that's what they, I mean, they're bearing the name of God with them, and that makes God look bad. And if they become idolatrous and they worship the gods around them, but they act justly, then that ends up not making God stand out at all. But he, he looks just like all the other gods. And so what Israel was supposed to do was twofold. They were supposed to honor God and honor his Torah. And in doing those things, they would show the goodness of God to the world around them. And Abraham's call was about being a blessing to the nations around them. Ultimately, through Jesus, that's how that promise comes to fruition. Paul believes in that his mission is about going to the nations around them because that's what the call to Abraham was ultimately all about. So it wasn't as though God just decided one day, Israel's going to heaven, everyone else is going to hell, and I'm just not going to be concerned with them. Uh, that, that doesn't seem to be what, what the call is at all. The Old Testament focuses on Israel more so than those other nations because it's Israel's scriptures, and God is working through Israel, but he's working through Israel to reach out to those other nations. He's working through Israel to teach and to prepare those other nations. And there are even times that God sends prophets of Israel to those other nations, like Jonah. We talked about that earlier today. And Paul, uh, Peter finds himself in that same boat, at, to use the expression, uh, in the same boat as Jonah. Uh, he finds himself with the same uh, mission of going to the Gentiles, something that neither Jonah nor Peter at the time seem adequately prepared for that next step. But Acts has hopefully been leading us in that direction up to this point, slowly introducing closer and closer examples of it. When you get to Cornelius, he's really an interesting guy, because it's, on the one hand, he seems like he would be, um, of all the Gentiles, the ideal Gentile to start with. 
the book of Acts repeatedly talks about how he gave alms. It talks about how he uh, was God-fearing. It talks about how he was well-regarded by all of the Jews. He was a Gentile who had a good reputation among Jews, and he seems like a stand-up guy, and he seems like someone who genuinely he prays to God. And he, see, he's clearly been influenced by Israel and by their thinking, and he even knows some of the story of Jesus, it appears, by the time Peter's preaching to him. Uh, and, so, and so he is an ideal candidate but he is also fully a Gentile, and he's also, he seems to uh, not fully understand the idea of worshiping Yahweh alone, as we'll see here in just a minute. He also, and this is incredible, is a centurion. That means he's part of the Roman military. Like, that in and of itself would make him someone who you don't really like. Like, if you are a people who are occupied by uh, this powerful foreign military, those military men that are walking through your streets might not be your favorite people in the world. And he's someone who is not only a military man, but he is a centurion. He has, he has I mean, tr traditionally a hundred people under his control, and he's someone who uh, had to be promoted up through the ranks to get to that position. He's someone who has a high-standing position in the Roman military. And so on the one hand, he's an ideal candidate, but on the other hand, you don't get more Gentile and Roman than this guy. And so Peter is going to uh, navigate those waters as he, as he uh, approaches uh, Cornelius. One thing that's also interesting as we kind of get into this conversation, this is a conversion account. And the book of Acts has quite a few conversion accounts. But I don't think it's only one conversion account. I think in a very real way, this is two conversion accounts combined into one. On the one hand, you have the conversion of Cornelius. And on the other hand, you have the conversion of Peter. Peter's going to see things very differently after this moment. This is going to change who Peter is and change the way that Peter views the mission of the church pretty, pretty radically. Uh, Peter three times has a vision from God that uh, has to compel him. It, it confuses him. And then he receives a message from the Holy Spirit that tells him to go do this. So, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit that God has to do to get Peter to go on this journey. Uh, Peter would not do it on his own. Likewise, by the way, God has to intervene on, for Cornelius also. Like, this is not something that would have happened naturally. This is something where God has a, makes Cornelius see an angel. He makes sure Peter has these dreams and the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And it's like God is orchestrating the whole thing because people aren't going to make this step. God's plan is for his kingdom to be worldwide, but as long as it's in the hands of people, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So he gets the Gentile to, uh, to have a, a message from an angel to reach out to Peter, and he makes sure Peter accepts the message in miraculous ways so that Peter will go, and God is really the one orchestrating this entire conversion account. And it's something that will, yes, change the life of Cornelius, but it will also transform Peter in a lot of ways. And so it's, it's a powerful account, and a lot has been building to this count throughout Luke and Acts, and uh, really throughout the whole story of the Bible. Now, Peter's in Joppa, which is another connection back to Jonah. He receives uh, these messengers, three men, who are telling him to go up to Cornelius. So he ends up making the trip to Caesarea, which is a little bit north on the coast, and uh, he takes these men with him, and they end up taking some men from Joppa also, so that like a whole group is going together. And when he gets to the house, there's a whole group of people there. And so what you're going to see is this isn't just Peter 
a Jew, and Cornelius a Gentile, but this is going to be like a representative group of Jews and a representative group of Gentiles getting together and having a meeting. And it's incredible where this meeting takes place. And Peter, this is one of the first things Peter says, because this has to be a really strange scenario for him. He's probably, maybe for the first time in his life, going to be having a meeting and going into the house and sharing a meal, it seems, with a Gentile. That is something that Peter has not done before. Uh, Peter actually thinks that that's contrary to the law in order to do that. Uh, That's something that is going to alienate a lot of the Jews who hear about this because they still are not willing to do that. Peter wouldn't have been willing to do that had it not been for these dreams and the Holy Spirit telling him to. So that's why he does it. Not everyone else had those dreams and had the Holy Spirit tell them that. And so what he does is going to create controversy. And, uh, And again, we'll see that also. But Imagine this meeting that takes place, you know, looking around, I bet Cornelius's home looks a little bit different than what Peter's used to. You have all these Gentiles there who are going to eat and think and act differently than what Peter is used to. And on the contrary, or on the other side, you're going to have Cornelius who's accepting this Jew into his home and he's going to want him to be acting, you know, in, a, in an appropriate way. And the first thing he does is mess up. Uh, and, and so all of this is just kind of, it's, it's, a very fascinating meeting of two different groups of people uh, who, uh, who haven't ever had a conversation like this before. So let's, let's dig into it. Um, Acts chapter 10 and verse 23 says, So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he got up and went uh, away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So this is, they're, they're leaving Joppa and they're about to go to Caesarea. It says, on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Cornelius, I mean, he's excited about this. He has been wanting to hear from God and he receives a, an angelic messenger. And so he sends for Peter and he knows that Peter's on the way. So he gets his closest friends, he gets his relatives, he gets the people who he cares the most about to join him because something is about to happen that hasn't ever happened before. Uh, when that happens, verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Uh, remember, this is a Gentile. He's not. Uh, familiar with uh, all of the Jewish teachings, apparently even on monotheism and on who worship is supposed to be given to. So the first thing he does is he falls down and worships a man. And uh, Peter, walking in, and the first thing that happens to him is he gets worshipped. What's he going to do there, you know? that immediately is something that's going to be like, okay, this is just too weird. I got to get out of here. Uh, you know, he's, he's already out of his comfort zone entering this man's house. And then all of a sudden, not only does the guy start worshiping someone who's not God, he starts worshiping Peter himself. And so Peter has to immediately correct that. Uh, he says in verse 26, but Peter raised him up saying, stand up for I too am just a man. And uh, so that is not a good introduction. Um, you know, you could think both of them would probably feel uncomfortable right then as Cornelius is told to get back up. Peter's thinking, how, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, this person is so far from anything I've ever been used to dealing with before. I've never gone into, you know, my, my Jewish friend's house and he fell down and worshipped me. Uh, and so he has to, this is something they're going to immediately have to get over as they begin talking, but they do. Uh, they don't let things like that get in the way. There's going to be misunderstandings. By the way, 
If you uh, ever want to study the Bible with uh, people who aren't Christians and aren't really familiar with the church, you're going to immediately run into misunderstandings. Um, I, I don't know if I should tell this story, but it's Sunday night. I'll do it. Why not? Um, well, I remember, uh, really, it was right after I first started uh, preaching. Uh, I was 20, and I hadn't been there very long, and uh, there was this couple that showed up at church on a Sunday morning. And uh, they were a really nice couple. I don't, I think they had maybe just been married, or maybe they weren't married yet, but they were living together. She was, she was pregnant, uh, but they were, I think, trying to make some good spiritual decisions, and they had started going to church, and we were excited about it. And so we were going to uh, go visit them, and they said, basically, they don't have like a, a phone number yet, but just stop by, it, it, you know, it'd be fine. They gave us their address. They were living in some apartments, so they were new to the area. And uh, so we said, sure. So Lauren and I were going to go somewhere, and we decided we'd stop by and just kind of give them a, you know, a greeting, talk to them for a few minutes. And so we went by their apartment, and I knocked on the door, and uh, he opened up the door. And uh, as soon as he did, I could tell something wasn't quite right. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said, oh, hey. And he came over, he gave me a big old hug. So I gave him a hug. I was like, that's a happy greeting. And he didn't really say anything. He just stared at me for like maybe five, seven seconds. And he said, whoa, you're not my dad. And I said, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the preacher at the church that you were at on Sunday. And this guy was out of his mind high on uh, some drugs that he had uh, been enjoying. And his uh, girlfriend, uh, came and saw what was happening and was absolutely mortified. And uh, basically, I was meeting with some people and they weren't used to the same type of meetings that I was used to uh, after going to someone, you know, after going to church. Uh, that's going to happen sometimes. There have been quite a few times where I've, you know, gone to have a Bible study with someone and I've walked into things that was like, oh, okay, they live very differently than I do. Um, Peter immediately walks into a situation where people are going to be quite a bit different than he is. And he has to try to uh, navigate that and find connections that he can make uh, because, you know what? We should not expect the world to act like Christians because they're not Christians. Um, when, when you are looking at the world around you and they are acting like the world, that shouldn't be that surprising of a thing. That's, that's how the world tends to act. And as Christians, we have made kind of a radical decision to live our lives in an entirely different and new way of the way of Christ. And that's not an easy way. It's not a natural thing to want to walk around carrying a cross and, and denying yourself. And so, and so we should approach humbly those who have not yet made that decision and recognize that we are kind of the oddballs, not them. Uh, and maybe uh, we, we can show them a, a newer and a better way. But that seems to be what Peter uh, encounters right here. Someone with completely different cult culture and customs. Verse 28. It says, uh, and he said to him, to them, you yourselves know so Peter starts off and he addresses the uncomfortable situation. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent me. 
So Peter walks in, and he doesn't really know yet why Cornelius has called him. He just knows that he saw a vision telling him to go there, that uh, the Holy Spirit told him to go there. Uh, and uh, so now he's there. He's in the house of a Gentile. He would not have done this if not for that vision, but it told him not to call unclean what God has called clean. And Peter seems to extrapolate from that. It's not just talking about food, but it's actually talking about people. So he says not to call any man unholy or unclean. But notice, like even in saying that, he is admitting to Cornelius right off the bat, for my entire life, I've thought of you as unholy and unclean, and I would not have entered your house. I'm here now. Uh, I, I didn't object to coming. Uh, I was given a message to come. Um, but what is this all about? You know, why am I in this situation right now? And that uh, verse 30 is Cornelius's answer. Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house, and during the ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who's also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So he wants to hear what God has been commanding. He wants to hear what the Lord has been commanding. And so that's why he sent for Peter. Notice, I, I, this is kind of before even Peter starts the sermon, this is the introduction to it. And we've seen Cornelius worship him. Uh, we've seen Peter say, it's against my law to be here, um, and I've always considered you unclean, but I'm here now. I'm not going to call you unclean or unholy, uh, but I want to know what's going on. Cornelius explains, I had a heavenly vision that told me to call for you. And so that seems to give Peter what he needs to, uh, to open up with the message of Christ and to start talking to him about the things that, uh, that have been taking place. What, what is it that Jesus has commanded him? Well, now he's going to uh, mention it. If you look at chapter 11 in verse 2, and you skip forward a little bit after these events, what Peter's doing right now, word spreads about it. And it actually gets back to Jerusalem. And uh, when Peter goes to Jerusalem, you look at verse 2, it says, When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, the, the Jews, they took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Remember, he said all the way back in verse 28, you know that it's unlawful for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner. And so people hear about that, and they immediately take issue with Peter. Uh, Peter's doing something that's going to harm his own reputation by reaching out to Cornelius in this way. In fact, when you get to Galatians 2, and this is quite a bit after the whole Cornelius thing, there's plenty of Christians. There's, there's a church in Antioch that seems to be made up of a lot of Jews and, and uh, Gentiles. They had a custom of eating together, which was a, I mean, which is a, a profound message to the rest of the world. When the rest of the world would want there to be separate tables, the church at Antioch was having one table, with Jew and Gentile alike being there. And Peter was even enjoying that fellowship. But then, when certain people from Jerusalem came, they weren't at that point yet. And they still were not eating with Gentiles, and they would still not go into a Gentile's home. And so when they show up, Peter doesn't want to harm his reputation with them, and so he stops eating with the Gentiles. And he creates a second table, a Jew table and a Gentile table. And uh, even Barnabas, by the way, who goes on missionary journeys with Paul, two Gentiles, he starts doing the same thing. 
And what's fascinating about that is Peter did not say Gentiles are unclean and unholy. He did not say that Gentiles can't be part of the church and they're not saved. He certainly did not say you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Like Peter's doctrine didn't change. Peter's eating habits changed. He was excluding people from his table and he was eating in seclusion away from other brethren. And you know what that meant? Paul rebukes him to his face that he stood condemned and actually says you're no longer walking straight with the gospel. Uh, He uses an interesting word there. It's the word like straight-footed. He says you're not straight-footed about the gospel anymore. You've actually turned from the truth of the gospel. That means that unity in the church is actually kind of central to what the gospel is all about. And if we start causing divisions in the church, even without changing your teaching, if you start causing divisions based on ethnicity or personality or these types of things, those are the types of things that cause you to stop walking the truth, straight gospel path. And uh, that's what Peter eventually gets gets caught up in. That's what the church in Jerusalem seems to be struggling with. And that's what Peter, way back here with Cornelius, overcomes for the first time. And so it's really a radical thing that's happening here. And it's going to be a struggle that the church has for years and years and years and years to come. And the struggle, I think you could say, it doesn't always just stick with Jews and Gentiles. But anytime you you have... uh, Anytime you have different cultures or different uh, races or people with different customs and different personalities, you're going to end up finding these types of things that can emerge and can erupt in the church. And one of the things that we're called to do is find ways to overcome them rather than just choose a side. And so uh, this is a profound chapter as all this stuff comes to a head. But what we're going to do in verse 34 is Peter's going to begin his message. Um, Last week, we looked at the message of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we we studied through his sermon there. And if you remember, if you were here, Stephen preaches, and he pretty much starts in Genesis with the call of Abraham. And he talks about uh, Abraham. He goes through Abraham's children. He goes through uh, Israel and his sons and how they sold Joseph into slavery and how Joseph ended up in, in uh, Egypt. And like he goes all the way through the end of Genesis and then all the families there in Egypt. He starts talking about Exodus and how they were led out of Exodus, uh, out of Egypt. And, and he talks about Moses and what he did. Like the entire thing is pretty much a brief summary of the story of Israel. He goes into Samuel. He talks about uh, King David. He talks about Solomon and the construction of the temple and and how that has lasted this day. He talks about the prophets. He talks about how there's supposed to come a prophet like Moses who would appear. Like all of these things uh, are directly just telling the story of the Old Testament. Why did he preach like that? Well, we talked about that last week. But one thing is interesting is his audience. His audience is a very Jewish audience, uh, and he ends up being being stoned after that sermon. But when you go back to like Acts chapter two. You'll see a very similar type of sermon in that it relies heavily on the the scriptures of the the Old Testament. It starts off with a Joel 2 prophecy, then it talks about Jesus, and then it talks about um, how God did not abandon his soul to Hades by quoting the Psalms. And and he he talks about David and David's tomb. Like The whole thing is rooted in a fundamental understanding of the Old Testament. When you read this sermon here in Acts chapter 10, there are some references to the Old Testament, especially at the end. He'll reference the prophets. But notice how different the focus is on this lesson to a Gentile 
than the lessons that you've heard to, to Jews. And it gets even more radical when you get to Acts 17, and he's preaching in Athens among the Greek philosophers. Uh, he gives a sermon where he actually quotes Greek philosophers rather than scripture. Uh, and it's one of the things that's really incredible about Acts, and you can see it as you go through, is the way that the message of Jesus remains unchanged, and the message of salvation remains unchanged. But the way that it is delivered to people where they are changes quite a bit. The packaging of the message changes quite a bit. Paul will discuss in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, becoming all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And if you want to see a good way to do that, read the sermons in uh, the book of Acts. Well, right here we're about to get the first sermon to a Gentile. Remember, Peter's the first one who preached the gospel to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, and uh, the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them. He's going to make reference to that, actually, uh, that the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles just like it did us. But Peter kind of opens the door to the kingdom to the Jews in Acts 2, and here he opens the door to the Gentiles. Um, you know, some people think that when Jesus says to Peter in Matthew, and I give to you the keys of the kingdom, this is, might be kind of what he's talking about. Uh, he unlocks the doors in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Then he unlocks the doors in Acts 10 uh, with, uh, there in Caesarea with, uh, with Cornelius. And he's opening up the door into the very kingdom of God and into the church. But here we will get uh, the lesson that Peter preaches. The first couple of verses are summarizing a lot of what we've already been talking about. A lot of what the buildup and, uh, and the controversy of this lesson all is. Verse 34 says... Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, a man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Now, we live in a culture where I think those types of ideas are seen as, as good, uh, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't judge other people, you shouldn't be prejudiced, you shouldn't be racist and things like that. Um, that's a really radical idea when Peter says it. Uh, you, you don't see that type of pluralistic view towards others uh, very often, especially like in ancient Rome. You know, that's just not the way that people tended to think. Uh, and what Peter's saying is that I, I think perhaps the way, the reason we think that like racism is bad, or that prejudice is bad, or that, uh, you know, hating people of other nations is, is bad. Perhaps the reason we think that is because we've been influenced by a couple thousand years of Christian thinking that have made that idea uh, much easier to swallow. But at this time, it was much more common to think people like me are good and they get priority, and the farther you get from being like me, the more skepticism I'm going to view you with, and then even the more malice I'm going to have towards you, the more judgmental and critical I'll be. And, and, uh, and so this whole conversation even happening is evidence that walls are being broken down. And he starts off by saying the reason these are being broken down is because God is no respecter of persons. Uh, or God doesn't show partiality. When it says God is no respecter of persons, that's just a way of saying he doesn't elevate some people groups above others based on where they're located, based on how much money they have, based on what they look like, based on their, uh, their genealogy or ethnicity or race or the, all those different types of things. That is not how God views people. In fact, you could go across the board. You know what God is looking for? He is looking for those who fear him and who do what is right. That's Cornelius. 
Cornelius is someone who fears God and does what's right. So Cornelius is someone who's going to be able to hear the message of salvation. Um, Verse 36, he says, The word which he sent, which God sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Uh, He's about to give him that message of peace that comes from Jesus. But notice that little phrase, he is Lord of all. That's why these walls can be broken down. That's why he could be sitting in the house of a Gentile. It's because of who Jesus is. And Jesus is Lord, but he's not a limited Lord. And he's not the Lord of a small group for a small time. He's not the Lord of one language or one nationality. He is Lord of all. It's to limit your view of others is actually to limit the lordship of Jesus. To have a small view of who we should reach out to or to have a small view of who we think is worthy is to have a small view of Jesus. Jesus is Lord of all. And so because of that, reaching out to all, being open to all, is an essential part of what the church is called to do. That's why Peter's here in the house of a Gentile. Verse 37, he says, you yourselves know, and so that's kind of interesting. The story has spread so much that Peter's confident Cornelius already knows this stuff that he's about to tell him. He says, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. So you know how the Gospel of Luke begins? The birth of John the Baptist. Then it goes into John's baptism. And, and uh, then Jesus is introduced. And, and you have these things. Uh, but what he's about to do is instead of summarizing like the whole story of the Old Testament, he's pretty much going to summarize the Gospel of Luke. He's going to summarize the life of Jesus. And you can go pretty much from the beginning to end in this lesson, and you can make connections all the way throughout Luke's gospel and find specifically some of the things that he talks about. So you have right here uh, the baptism of John proclaimed. Verse 38, you know that Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Uh, You can see that happen at John's baptism when the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Uh, He says he anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good. By the way, that's a really good description of how to go about living your life. When he summarizes the life of Jesus, he could say, he went about doing good. You can read the Gospel of Luke and you can see some of what that uh, includes. Uh, you know, some of his actions towards uh, different groups of people, different people who are in need, the paralyzed, the hungry, the, and, and all of these people. He went about doing good and healing those who are oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Uh, you can see some of the exorcisms, as they're called, where he casts out demons and people who were uh, oppressed by uh, the forces of darkness. Jesus, whether it was by healing or whether by casting out demons, he went about doing good because God was with him. Verse 39, we all are witnesses of the things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. So Jesus did good, and Jesus was showing his power over Satan, and we're all witnesses of that, and people responded to that by hanging him on a cross. Yet that's not where the story ends. The story continues in verse 40, that God raised him on the third day and granted that he became, uh, become visible, not to all the people, but to the witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us, 
who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Luke actually records that. Luke records uh, after the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples, they eat broiled fish with him on, on the seashore. And uh, they're, they're actually, they're amazed. They're thinking like, is he a ghost? And they say, look at him. Ghosts don't have like bones and flesh. Jesus has bones and flesh and he's eating fish right here with us. Like All of that stuff you can find in the gospel of Luke uh, leading up to the introduction to Acts. He says in verse 42, and he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Uh, when you do look at the end of Acts, he says, um, Jesus, the, the resurrected Lord, after eating the fish with his disciples, he says in chapter 24 and verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, to all the nations. I mean, that's, that's what's happening in, in Acts right now. Uh, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. Uh, and, and so you can, you, you see that that's, I mean, that's what Peter's talking about right here. After the resurrection, after we ate with them, he made us the witnesses. We ate with them and we were able to go out and to proclaim forgiveness of sins uh, to the nations around us. And so, verse 43 of Acts 10, and he concludes his lesson, or I'm, I'm actually curious if he concludes it. I, think, I don't think he does. I think he's still in the middle of his lesson when, and he gets interrupted by something. But uh, in verse 43 it says, of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So here he does mention what we would call the Old Testament. All the prophets have been bearing witness to this. Um, and you can read the sermons and acts to find out which types of prophets he's talking about there. Like Moses, who said that there would be a prophet like me. Uh, Moses is a prophet who spoke about Jesus. And uh, Joel, too says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, that sounds like, you know, the prophets say that they bear witness that everyone who believes in him uh, uh, receives forgiveness of sins. Like, you can, you can attest to these things through the prophets in the Old Testament. You can look at the different sermons throughout Acts to piece together what prophets he's talking about there. Uh, but he's saying you can summarize the Old Testament prophets by saying they were pointing to this one and to the salvation that comes through him. The reason I say I don't think Peter's quite done yet is because verse 44 says, while Peter was still speaking these words, so like he's still in the middle of talking, and it says the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. So you remember Cornelius is there, but he's also brought his friends and his relatives, and the Holy Spirit falls on a whole big group of Gentiles. And it says in verse 45, remember Peter brought his group from Joppa, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Um, remember Peter way back in verse 28, he learned and he told Cornelius that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Well, the holiest thing in the universe, the holiest being there is the Holy Spirit himself now falls upon this man. Don't call him unholy. Uh, the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius and all the Gentiles who were there. In verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and exalting God. 
they're able to see these Gentiles who just not long ago were trying to worship a man, now filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, just like Peter and the disciples did in Acts chapter 2. Just like Jesus promised to them, now they are doing that and the Gentiles are doing it also. Uh, so Peter recognizes something from that. And what he recognizes is important. Um, Acts 10 does not follow the pattern that we might be accustomed to when we're reading through uh, the New Testament about uh, the Holy Spirit and baptism and becoming a Christian. Like in Acts 2, Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and therefore you will be baptized. Uh, what happens in Acts 10 is kind of that reversal. Someone receives the Holy Spirit, and then Peter says, oh, wow, this person can be baptized. So, so what happens here is kind of a reversal of the norm, and it shocks Peter. But there's a reason this reversal takes place. I think the reason is, I don't think Peter would have baptized Cornelius. Uh, I don't think Peter fully understood that Cornelius could, even, could be baptized. Like, he's amazed. Wow, God is doing something here. God, God is not calling them unclean or unholy, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. But then when he sees that they, they actually received the Holy Spirit, he thinks, well, then, then they can be part of the family of God. They, they can be part of the forgiven, chosen people. And there's a difference between saying, oh, wow, there's a group over there that God seems to approve of. He doesn't even call them unholy anymore. There's a difference between saying that and saying, we're actually going to be in the same group. Like, we're in the same family. I don't think Peter was, even when he was there telling him about Jesus, I don't know that he quite got that yet. And so when he sees the Holy Spirit fall on them, and they start speaking in tongues just like Peter did in Acts chapter 2, when that whole big crowd at Pentecost gathered, there's nothing left to hinder any sort of fellowship or connection or unity between them. And so Peter says in verse 47, surely no one can refuse water. To, for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we can he? Why does Peter immediately think of baptism when he sees the Holy Spirit fall upon them? Because he knows the way this normally works. And this is completely different. And so he says, well, you can't refuse them water. Who was going to refuse them water? Well, possibly Peter. And so Peter, by seeing this, his eyes are open that these people can now be baptized. I, basically, that's a way of saying, I don't think this is a passage that says, okay, so you don't need to be baptized to receive the Holy Spirit, um, or you don't need to be baptized to be saved, or anything like that. It does reverse orders, but it does it for a reason. It does it to show that they can be baptized, and that they should be baptized. And then verse 48, and Peter ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to stay for a few days. So Peter then orders them, okay, if you're going to have the Holy Spirit, you've got to go get baptized. And so he orders them to go do it. And, uh, and right there you see like full unity. Jew and Gentile heard the message of Jesus. They believed the same thing. They have the same Holy Spirit. They have the same baptism. There is a unity here that has never been experienced before. And Peter's the one who brought this message to the Gentiles. Is that going to be easy for him from this point forward? No. It'll be a turbulent up and down battle. And for all of the other Christians out there, it's going to be a turbulent battle. They're going to have a big old discussion about it in Acts chapter 15. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, 
we already read it earlier, but when Peter goes back to Jerusalem, they take issue with him and they say, hey, were you eating at the house of a Gentile? What were you doing? And Peter retells this whole story about the vision that he saw, about how you shouldn't call unclean what God has called clean, about how he went in there and how he taught them. You can look at uh, chapter 11 and verse 15. This is how Peter summarizes his main point. He says, and as I began to speak, that's the sermon we were talking about, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did us at the beginning, like in Acts 2, like the same thing happened to them. And then verse 16, and I remembered the words of the Lord, how we used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. The resurrected Lord Jesus told them that. And then it happened to them in Acts 2. And they thought, okay, well, that was neat. End of story, right? Apparently not, because it happens again in Acts 10 with the Gentiles. And Peter's thinking, this, like, God's, God just showed that there's no difference even between like the apostles who are Christians and Jews and this Roman military Gentile. God apparently really isn't a respecter of persons. And after giving this message, uh, it's pretty incredible, verse 18 of chapter 11, to the Jews, he says, uh, or describing the Jews, he says, when they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Apparently Gentiles can change their whole lives and be accepted into the, this fellowship of Jesus. Apparently Gentiles can have life also. And so all of this is a way to say that the church is, in one sense, you could say it is exclusive because it is limited to the family of God and the family of Jesus. But in an incredible way, the church is remarkably inclusive because you're invited into that family. You are wanted to be a part of that family. Uh, no matter where you are or who you are or what your background is or where you live or what language you speak, I don't think you'll find anything more inclusive than what the church is and what the church calls us into. And Seeing the Holy Spirit shared among all peoples of this earth, not on the basis of Torah or circumcision, but on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, is a message that unites mankind the whole world over. Uh, one of my favorite, I mean, one of my favorite things in the world is uh, getting the opportunity to travel and being able to worship with a group of Christians that I've never met before in a very different place and seeing that there are people here that I have unity with who I've never met before because we have the same Lord, the same Holy Spirit, and the same baptism. And that's, that's a remarkable thing. That's a beautiful thing. And that's one of the reasons that Acts 10, I think, is such a, a, a beautiful chapter. And it's the launching point of this becoming the primary focus. Our, our evangelistic mission got a whole lot bigger in Acts chapter 10. Our evangelistic mission got a whole lot harder. We have a whole world to go to now. People who will fall down and worship you when they enter your door. People who are going to worship idols. People who have never read Torah or even heard the name Moses before. It's like, that's going to change things. Are you ready for it? Uh, that's, that's what the disciples have to prepare for. That's what Paul is going to have to prepare for. And uh, I, think, uh, I think it'll be fun as we continue to go through it. But that's our mission. And if there's anyone here tonight uh, who would like to become 
a part of the church, who would like to uh, become a follower of Jesus, who would like to have your sins washed away and to enter into Christ and the love and the fellowship and the forgiveness that's available to you, please let that be known. Come sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.